our expectations are shaped by our experiences, they're shaped by our hopes, our dreams, and perhaps our expectations are even shaped by what we see <clears throat> or what we experience. And our desire may be to have or experience what other people have. Oftentimes we feel entitled to certain things. We feel entitled to certain rights. So what do we do when we have expectations of God and he doesn't meet our expectations? Like, have you ever had expectations of what you thought God should do? What maybe even you've heard that he's done in other people's lives? And you're like, oh, okay, so God's not respecter of persons. I want to see him do this in my life. But yet, perhaps those expectations don't necessarily get met how you want or when you want. Man, how do we navigate that? Like, that's real. That's tough, right? Like, how do we navigate serving God when it seems like I'm serving him, but my situation is not really improving? Or my situation isn't going the way that I thought that it should go, or the way I'd hoped it would go, or perhaps even the way that maybe I'm seeing other people's life go. And I look at that through a lens and I go, man, what's wrong with me? What am I missing? What am I not getting right that others are? What am I doing wrong? So many times we look at other people and what God may be doing in their lives or what we thought God would do in our life. And we're just wondering what's going on. How do we navigate that when things aren't going the way that we thought that they would? I want to ask this question, and, and I don't mean this like in, a, in like a mean way, so don't hear this in like a mean-spirited way. This is like an evaluation question, okay? The question is this, are we serving God, or, we do, we, or do we expect him to serve us? And I want us to think about the answer to that question, because yes, we should have certain expectations of God because he makes certain promises and declarations about himself. But we always have to ask ourselves, like, what is my motive? This is one of those questions that makes me be forced to look in the mirror. And I have to answer the question, man, at the end of the day, am I serving God or am I just trying to get him to serve me the way I want to be served? Because so many people look at God as a means to an end. Some people look at God as, well, I don't want to go to hell. That sounds pretty bad. So I want to go to heaven. That sounds pretty good. But that's pretty much all they expect. And so because they can get the security from God, they go, okay, I'll do the things that the pastor told me to do or the Sunday school teacher told me to do or my parents told me to do or my friend told me to do or the Bible told me to do. I'll go through those steps in my mind because I want to get this thing like and I don't want to get this other and some people that's their sole motivation that's all they want and then sometimes we are looking at our lives and we're like man my life I'm struggling with this or I'm struggling with that and I need God to help me out and so we intermittently will like tap God on the shoulder to try to help bail us out of problems that either we've got ourselves in or stuff that's happened to us or that's happening around us that we don't like and what we're asking God for in those instances is we're saying, God, I'm uncomfortable. This is hard, and I want it to be easy, and I want it to be comfortable. And so, God, would you like, you know, 
make this comfortable for me because I don't like being uncomfortable. I don't like this being difficult. I want this to be easy. And so some people look at God as a means to an end in that way. And we miss, in the middle of all of this, we miss serving God because we're only focused on what he can do for us to improve or enhance our situation rather than looking at how am I to serve him. This is nothing new. Let's go over to Luke chapter 19. If you have your Bible today, Luke chapter 19. And in the YouVersion app and then also on the screen, I only gave them verse 41 through 46. But however, it, this first part won't be on the screen. But as I was just studying over it again this morning and rereading it, I want to back up just a little bit further. Okay, so it won't be on the screen till verse 41. And that's fine. Um, let's go back to Luke 19 and verse 28. And like, man, <laughs> reading this is just, it, we have to understand what's going on. Um, this is during the time of Roman occupation, right? And Roman occupation is the norm in their society there in Israel at the time. So you've had the Romans come in, they've conquered you. When you pay taxes, you're not paying taxes to any form of Jewish government, you're paying taxes to the occupying Romans. There's Roman guards everywhere. They're forcing Roman things and Roman culture onto you, but yet they're also tolerating your religious practices and your lifestyle and your rituals. They're kind of tolerating that. But there's definitely this view that the Romans are looking at you as like subhuman. The Romans are looking at you as a Jewish person as not very, uh, having very much worth. And then if you're a Jewish person, you're growing up with angst towards the Romans. You're just naturally infused with this frustration. And when you see Roman soldiers, you know, if you're a Jewish person, it just reminds you of the fact that you're not really free. And it really is a frustrating thing. And so in your mind, the greatest thing that could probably happen in your lifetime that would bring you a sense of victory, being an overcomer, something that would bring you a sense of like, like God is on our side and God is for us and God is with us, something that would bring you that sense in your lifetime would be that, man, we get rid of these nasty Romans. And so that's what you're thinking about if you're a Jewish person because, man, it's frustrating. I don't want to have to pay taxes to these people. I don't want to see Roman guards at every stop and at every gate. I want us to be a free people. We're living under the oppression of the Romans as the Romans are trying to conquer the known world at the time. And we've been conquered. And, and I don't want to be conquered because we have God on our side. And you're, you grow up hearing these stories, right, as a young Jew. You grew up hearing these stories about how, like, God answered Elijah on Mount Carmel by fire. And you're like, where's God just bring that fire and, like, burn these nasty Romans up, you know? You're thinking about like all the military victories of the time of Joshua. You're thinking about how Pharaoh tried to enslave the people for so long and God delivered all of the people in the Exodus story. You grew up hearing these things and you're wondering, where is that God? That's what you're thinking because you're living under this oppression and so you hear about Jesus and he, he's fitting the, 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 the concept perhaps 
of this idea of being the Messiah, the deliverer. And if you're thinking about being delivered and you're a Jew living in Jesus' day, you're thinking if this guy's really the Messiah, hey buddy, we're about to be free from all this oppression because our king has come. And when they thought their king has come, their Messiah, he's going to overthrow this occupying army and we're going to live victoriously because he's going to fix everything that we've been dealing with, that we've known that has been, this is our time to be a part of God's story like our ancestors were being delivered from the hands of Pharaoh, right? Like this is what they're thinking. And they're really excited about this idea. So Luke chapter 19, verse 28. After Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the, the mount that is called Olivet, he sent Two disciples, and he said, hey, go into the village in front of you, and where on entering, you're going to find a colt on which no one has ever sat. Untie it, bring it here, and if anyone asks you, why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away, they found it just as Jesus had told them, and as they were untying the colt, the owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it, and they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd, they said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it and he said, would you that even you had known on this day the things that make for peace? But now they're hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, and you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple, and he began to drive out those who sold. And he said to them, it's written, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. So get this, we're celebrating Palm Sunday today. And here Jesus saddles himself upon this young colt, this, this donkey, and he begins to ride it down the Mount of Olives. And so as you go down the Mount of Olives, you go into the valley and then you have to make the ascent up to Jerusalem, up to the, the city, up to the temple there in Jerusalem. And so as he's coming down, they're singing and they're shouting and they're saying Hosanna. And they're waving palm branches. They're laying their cloaks down in the road. And what they're doing is not abnormal. This is something that they would have done if a king rode into town. But something you need to understand about the culture of their day is that what the king rode was very, very important, you see. Because when the king would ride into town, if he was going to come in and bring a military victory, and he was going to come in and it's a time of war, and he's saying we're in a time of war, we're, we're, we're oppressed and we're about to deliver you know, our, ourselves from our oppressors, 
the king would have ridden in on a horse because this is a military animal and this is an animal that it's he rode on it he's sitting high on this beast that he's riding in proclaiming a victory so i'm the king and i'm bringing in a victory but jesus came in on the colt of a donkey and when a king would ride in on a donkey into town that signified to all the people that we were at a time of peace could you imagine Somewhat of the confusion, perhaps, if you're a Jewish person. You're excited. You hear Jesus is coming. And you start going, all right, let's get the palm branches ready. Because the palm branches signify victory. And it signifies even military victory. There's even coins to this day that are used that have those branches on them. And those branches signify victory. And so they're waving this. And they're saying, Hosanna, God, save us. And what are they saying God save us from? Most of them are probably thinking and expecting him to save them from their oppressors. We want these oppressors gone. I mean, yes, yes, save us like in general, but yes, really save us from these nasty Romans. It's time for our victory. And then could you imagine to their surprise seeing the expected king, the one that that had performed miracles, riding in on a donkey, on the colt of a donkey, and they're like, Okay, he didn't get the animal right. It's okay. He's still here, and he's still going to save us. It's okay. Hosanna, Hosanna. And they're waving the branches, and they're laying down the cloaks, and they're expecting him to come and save us. And then the very next thing that he does is that as he observes all of these people, and he sees all these people shouting Hosanna, he starts weeping over them. He cries. You see, they were expecting him to come in with a sword. They were expecting him to come in and set up his kingdom and overthrow their natural enemies and deliver them and fix their situation. They wanted Jesus to come in and make their situation better. And while they're celebrating, Jesus is crying and he's weeping and he's weeping over them. Why? Because he said they're missing the hour of their visitation. They don't get it. They don't understand who I am. They're missing what I've come to do. They're expecting one thing, but yet I'm coming to bring victory, yes. But victory over the real enemy. Not just this flesh and blood enemy, but the ultimate enemy. Victory over death that has separated you from God. Victory over sin that has separated you from God and kept you bound and chained. I'm about to come and reset everything And you don't even see it. Because all you want is deliverance from your oppressor. But he was coming to bring something amazing. And the the crowd that at this moment is shouting, save us, Hosanna. Just a little while later is going to be shouting, crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. When given the choice between the murderer Barabbas to be set free or Jesus, the innocent man, to be set free, this same crowd that's laying down their cloaks is going to be saying, set Barabbas free. Give us Barabbas and crucify this Jesus. You see, this is the same crowd that Jesus healed, that Jesus ministered to, that Jesus raised the dead, that Jesus fed them. And that's why we always have to ask this question, you know, man, why weren't the signs enough? And Jesus even said, it's a wicked and perverse generation that demands a sign. 
So if you're wanting a sign, some people think, man, if God would just do this, my lost family members would get saved. If God would just fix this situation, it would open the eyes of these people, and then all of a sudden they would believe, and they would put their faith in God. Or if he would just do this, and we try to put all these expectations on God and tell God the things that would need to happen in order for people to find salvation. But yet he did all of those things and they still shouted crucify him. You see, it's not in the miracles because the signs in and of themselves were not enough to change a heart. So the question again is, are we interested in Jesus or are we just interested in what he can do to make my life easier? Am I interested in him or am I missing him because I'm just looking for him to fix my situation, for him to deal with my Romans, for him to deal with my Roman soldiers and to, for him to deal with my oppression? Is that all I'm looking to Jesus for? Because you have to understand something about God and I want you to hear this. Yes, God loves us. God cares about us. He cares about all of our individual circumstances and situations. His heart is for us. God is for us. But first and foremost, you must understand God is for God. Let me say that again. You need to get this in your heart and in your mind. God is for God because he's for his glory. He won't share his glory. It's for him and him alone because he's the only one worthy. Amen? He's the only one worthy of that type of attention, that ty type of affection. And so God is for God. So you see, we don't get the right to make demands of God because he is God. He is the potter. We are the clay. He is the good shepherd and we're the sheep. We don't get the luxury <clears throat> of serving him on our terms. We try to put all these terms on God. Well, God, if you would do this. God, if you would do that. God, if you, why, why don't you just rescue me out of this situation or that situation? But yet, as we read in Scripture, he is good, folks. He never stops being good at any point along the journey. Even when maybe what we're experiencing is not good. Even when what we're going through may be difficult and it may be no fault of our own. That doesn't change the fact that God remains good. God remains holy. God remains untouched. He is pure and holy. And he's perfect in every way. Amen? So that must mean that there's something here that I must understand about God. Because it's not my right to have to say, God, for you to be good, you have to meet my terms. No, God, you are good. And when I see God as good then when my situation isn't going the way I wanted it to, it helps me to see the goodness of God who sustains me even through the lowest of valleys. It makes the 23rd Psalm a little bit more real in my life because we can all say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. But it makes it more real when I trust that he's good when I am walking through those difficult valleys. Amen, church? Because we weren't meant to live on this life and on this earth just to have one mountaintop experience after the other. There will be valleys. There will be difficulties. And it's because there's sin in the world and we live in a fallen world. Now when we're with him in eternity, yes, all of that's going to change. And all of that pain and all that suffering is going to be over with. But the Apostle Paul said it like this. When I suffer here on this earth, any type of suffering I experience, I'm going to count it as suffering with Christ because he suffered for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, Lord, as I go through difficulty, I'm going to attach that as suffering with Christ. 
So that means my struggles, when things are unfair, when it's not right, when I want to feel sorry for myself and I, and, and, and I want to just, just push everybody else away. When I want to be angry and bitter, I go, no, Lord, I'm not going to allow myself to get in that space because I'm going to remember what Christ did for me. And when I remember the victory that you brought through your suffering, Lord, any suffering I experience, I'm still going to trust that you're good, even when I don't feel it, even when I don't see it, just like we sang this morning. You are still good, whether things in my life go my way or not. Let's go over to Romans chapter 1, <clears throat> and we're talking about those nasty Romans. <laughs> <laughs> Romans chapter 1, verse 18, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome to a mixture of Jewish and Greek Christians, and this is the most incredible articulation of the gospel that we have here. Chapter 1, verse 18 Paul's explaining the depravity of man here. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness they suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made. And so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Or they did not give thanks to him because they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged, catch this, verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Said, therefore God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. You see, this is what happens when we miss this because we make God in our image. And this is what we do when we drift over into this depraved type of thinking is that we say, I want God my way because I don't like the way God actually is. I don't like the way that scripture tells me God is. I don't like the fact that God wants this or doesn't want this. And it's not fair and it's not conducive to the way that I want to think or what I want to value or how I want to live. So therefore, I am in my own wisdom, in my own human cunning and craftiness, I am going to suppose that I can take the perfect holy God and I am going to make him in my own image so that I can have a God I want to serve. I'm going to make him in my likeness, and I'm going to take the things that are true, and I'm going to trade them in for a lie because I would rather serve my own creation than the creator. And this is where people began to formulate their own ways of truth, their own ways of thinking, their own sets of values that are outside of who God actually is. And when we do that, what we're saying is, God, I'll serve you if, and then you fill in the blank with whatever. Or God, I'll serve you if you would do this or if you would think this way. And we say silly things like, man, if, if God were, you know, like writing the Bible in the 21st century, 
he would probably say things this way. And we have these ideas that somehow we can form God in our own image. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul said that people who are of a depraved mind do. They said they think they're so wise in this. They think they're so smart in their articulations. But actually, they've become foolish. They're foolish, but they think they're wise. And so it's hard to convince a foolish person who thinks they're wise that they're actually foolish. That's a very difficult thing to do. Very, very difficult. Like, have any of you ever raised teenagers before? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> because you think you're so smart. You think you understand all these concepts. But at the same time, man, I, I, you're, you're foolish. I have to go back to something because where you start from matters a lot. And that's what these people are doing. They're, they're taking Jesus and they're saying, I want Jesus to come and deliver me from my oppressor. And I want him to do it my way. But he's getting it all wrong. I mean, he was supposed to come in riding a horse. He was supposed to have a big sword. Supposed to be like on fire or something cool like that, you know. Like he was supposed to come and like take the throne over and then sit on the throne. And, and then all of these like angel armies were supposed to just come and wipe out all of my enemies and my landlord and, you know, my boss at my job. And, and he was supposed to make my life great. He was supposed to come over my house and fix my marriage and, 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 and make my kids behave. And he was supposed to come and tell my boss I needed a raise. And like he was supposed to come and fix everything. But instead, he, he, he rode a donkey and we're not even at peace. Don't you see the Romans outside of my workplace? Don't you see that this, this is, so I want to, I, I don't like that, Jesus. I, wanna, I want you to fit my mold. I want you to fit my construct. I want you to fit my parameters. And then I'll serve you. Because these people were so easily able to switch. The miracles didn't sustain their belief. The miracles didn't sustain their worship. The miracles didn't sustain their devotion. Because they still wanted God in their image. They still wanted God the way that they wanted. And they thought they were so smart. And they thought they had figured it out. Man, the Pharisees thought they would figured it out. Some of the people thought they would figured it out. And Jesus wasn't fitting their mold. So what did they do? They rejected him and they missed him. And Jesus wept. Jesus wept because they were missing him. They did not know the hour of their visitation. And man, I'm going to level with you, church. So many things I've asked God to rescue me from. Golly, so many things I have wept bitterly over that I thought were unjust and unfair that I wanted God to fix. That I asked him to fix and I tried to believe right. I tried to quote the right scripture. I tried to play, pray long enough, loud enough. I tried to clean up any like little residual sin in my life that needed to go away just in case that was getting in the way. I like wanted to make peace with my wife. I wanted to make sure I was you know, giving enough money to the church. And, and all these things that I thought I had to do to get in the right position for God to fix my situation. And it still didn't get fixed the way I wanted. Because God didn't, didn't do what I wanted him to do in that moment. But can I tell you, they're looking in the rearview mirror of those things. Looking in... The vantage point that I have now, <laughs> even though I thought I was somehow manipulating the hand of God to do what I wanted him to do, I can look back in the rearview mirror and I can see how God was there the whole time and he never left me, he never forsook me. Amen. 
I can see how God was there during those times, and I can see how God has even taken those things that I thought were going to take me out, that I thought were just going to knock me down, and he's used those stories and those moments for me to be able to share, to be able to help others and encourage others for his glory, and it has benefited me for my good, but I didn't see it at the time because it wasn't good. And there are things that I've walked through that I would not wish on any person that I would classify as an enemy. I wouldn't wish those things on that person. But at the same time, what God has done in me, it has fortified and solidified my trust in him that I know who he is. So when I meet the next crossroads, when I come to the next obstacle, I can look back and I can remember who he is and what he's done and that he's faithful. And if he did it before, he'll do it again. And I can look back and I can see that he's good even when I wanted to quit, even when I wanted to give up. Because sometimes Mondays are hard for pastors. Sometimes Sunday afternoon is hard for pastors. And the enemy wants to like take little things said or done and like whisper in your ear and discourage you and cause you to be feeling yourself. And sometimes you can get in that headspace, and man, the enemy just uses that as his playground. And then you start making these associations and you get upset about something and wouldn't wasn't anything anybody really did. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. And then you can slide down the slippery slope into like depressive thoughts that can get really, really dark. My head's been in some really, really dark places in my mind. And I look back on those times. And when the enemy wants to use those same vices and those same tactics to try to knock me out. I see how two out of the three of my children it's a blessing that they're even alive because of the medical trauma that they've been through. I see how even in the middle of poverty and struggling and being at the very edge of having to just do something and pivot differently because I didn't know how we were going to make it to the very next week or where next week's grocery money was coming from. Like I know what that feels like. And those times where you're like, God, I thought I was serving you. Like, I thought you were supposed to like, help me out with this. I thought you were supposed to ride in on your horse with a sword, man. What's going on with this? I know what that's like. And I look back and I see the faithfulness of God through it all. The times where I thought, how on earth are we going to get through this? How, when is it just going to be over, right? <laughs> I just want to wake up and not feel this pressure. Or feel this emptiness or whatever it may be. And God is faithful through it all, church. He is. He's worthy to be followed. He's worthy to be trusted. His plans are bigger than mine and his timetable is better than mine. And I have to remind myself of that. Because sometimes I want to make him in my own image and say, God, but my timetable is pretty good. And God's like, you don't even know. Here's our big idea for today. True good news or gospel is that Jesus meets my deepest need. That's good news, is that Jesus meets my deepest need. And that's what Jesus wept over. And then the very next thing he does after he weeps, he goes and he turns tables over, man. Because they're getting worship wrong. They're missing the point on worship. They're trying to take advantage of people and monetize worship. And Jesus is like, no. You're getting this all wrong. He's turning over tables. So he's just messing up all their expectations. Jesus, don't you know 
They wanted to celebrate you, and now they, they, you're kind of making them mad. They might want to kill you, you know, eventually. But yet Jesus is trying to show them the heart of God and what matters to God. And the true good news, the true gospel church is that Jesus meets my deepest need. So yes, all of my other things in life that I get so concerned about, maybe it doesn't happen how I want, when I want. But I can take peace. I can know that my Savior rode in on a donkey because he is a messenger and a bringer of peace that passes my understanding, that guards my heart and my mind. And I know that that peace comes from knowing I am right with God. And he's the one who has put me in a position to be able to be in right standing with God or to have righteousness. And so I am legally justified in the eyes of God, not from any work of my own, but because of the work that Jesus Christ has done on the cross by becoming sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might know the righteousness of God, that you and I can walk through this life with peace, knowing that no matter who may come against us, because God is for us and it doesn't matter who's against us it doesn't matter who's in office it doesn't matter what world wars are happening it doesn't matter if you're pre-trib or post-trib it doesn't matter because we still win either way because we have the victory in Jesus and he has brought me peace in the middle of all of this chaos that I'm surrounded by all of the chaos all of the dysfunction you're experiencing, all the pressure you're under, you can have peace in the middle of the storm. It's like we're the disciples in the boat with Jesus and there's a storm all around us and Jesus is taking a nap and we're like, who can nap at a time like this? And we go and we wake Jesus up because we want him to, to make the scary things go away. And Jesus is like... <sighs> like, why are you waking my nap up? I was like, it's a good part of the dream, and now I'm not going to know what happens. <laughs> and he looks at the disciples, and the first thing he says to them, he doesn't go, oh, snap, there's a storm. <laughs> what does Jesus do? He says, even, he says, oh, ye of little faith. And I interpret that with Derek Armstrong's translation of the Bible and my commentary As Jesus saying, don't you know who's in the boat with you? And don't you know those winds that cause those waves? Don't you know I made that stuff? Like, why are you scared of that? And so he wasn't saying, oh, ye of little faith, because you could have calmed this storm with your faith. That wasn't what Jesus was saying. That, that's wrong. That's not what Jesus was saying. What Jesus was saying is that because I'm with you, don't you know that I'm going to take care of you even in these uncertain times? I didn't bring you this far to make the boat just completely topple over and to drown you. Don't you know that I'm with you? Don't you know I have a plan for you? And even if it doesn't go your way, and even if Jesus doesn't calm that storm, you can still have peace because he's with you. Amen. And if Jesus is sleeping in the boat, that gives me permission to be able to be at peace and sleep in the boat too. Because he's the one who's in charge. And that's the difference between me trying to make God in, in my image and me serving him for who he is. You see, there's a different peace. There's a different joy that's attached to that. And so when people talk about peace that they experience when they become a follower of Jesus, it's because of this gospel. It's because of this good news. Because it meets my deepest need. So I don't know where you're at right now with what is happening in your life. 
I don't know your situation, but here's what I know. Whatever it is, Jesus meets your real greatest, deepest need. He's the answer. And even if your external situations change, even if the Romans are still around after you receive Christ, you can still have peace. Even if the waves are still around after you receive Jesus, he's still in the boat. Amen? And that should give me confidence, not in myself, because that's not where our confidence should come from. It should come from the greater one who's in me. Because greater is he who's in me than anything this world could throw at me. Amen? And when I follow Jesus, it helps me continually realize my deepest need. And here's what I want you to know today, church. Is that our expectations of God, they should be shaped by the word of God. Our expectations of him should not be shaped on what makes me comfortable. Not what I like. Not me making God in my own image. Because then I'm just waving around a palm branch going, oh yeah, he's going to come and finally do it. Get rid of those nasty Romans. You see, if we only go to scripture to look at what God can do for me instead of looking at what he has done for me, I'm missing the gospel. This whole series has been living beyond myself, living beyond me. And the whole idea, the whole point has been to live with this kingdom priority in your life that everything else is shaped around. This whole Matthew 6 and 33, seek first the kingdom of God. That's the whole heart, that's the whole idea of living beyond me. Living with eternity in mind. Being able to live this life with peace regardless of the circumstance. Sometimes, yeah, God does change my circumstances. Sometimes those things in life do get easier. Praise God for those things. But praise God even when they don't. Because I don't just serve God when everything in life is clicking along the way I want. I serve God when it's hard. I serve God when there's doubts and there's fears and there's confusion, man. You are still his child. He's still in the boat. Heaven is your home if you have placed your faith in Christ alone. You still have a mission. You still have a purpose for which you were created. Maybe you served him and have been serving him, and you expected him to come and rescue out of your current situation. But instead, he came in and he overturned your tables. Maybe he wants a to reset some things and refocus your priorities, to line up with his values, with his priorities. He doesn't want you to miss this opportunity. Because when Jesus surveyed the landscape and people were missing the opportunity, he wept because they didn't know the hour of their visitation. <laughs> so may we not miss what God's trying to do in our hearts, in our families, in our lives, in our church. May we not miss this. May we not miss what he's trying to reset in our minds and in our hearts. May we not miss all of the experiences we've had, all the frustrations, all the doubts, all the, all the fears that we've had, all the insecurities that we've been carrying around, all the chains, all the addictions, all the other things we've been looking to. May we, may we not miss that God's trying to take all of that and he's trying to help us see him through it all. That he is the rock, that he's the constant, and that he's worthy of our trust. And may we walk out of this place today with a greater degree of trust and peace. And if we have been trusting in other things, and if we have gotten our eyes off of Jesus, may we repent and refocus and refix our eyes on Jesus today. Or maybe you're here in this place today and you've never really fixed your eyes on Jesus. Or maybe you're like, man, I've been looking at this thing all wrong, and today God's opened your eyes and he softened your heart towards some things. What do I need to do, Pastor? You, you need to say, God, 
I repent, I've missed it. You need to say, God, I wanna put my faith in what Jesus has done for me. I wanna trust in that good news, that gospel, because that's my greatest need, is I need to be in right standing with God. Everybody wants peace from God, but peace from God comes from having peace with God. Do you have peace with God today? Person sitting at home watching this online, do you have peace with God? Folks out in the commons area, do you have peace with God? Folks sitting here, hearing this message today, do you have peace with God? Because having peace with God comes from knowing I'm in right standing with him. And the only way to do that is to place your faith, your hope, your trust in Jesus Christ alone because there's no other way. There's no other path. There's no other religion. There's no other, there's no other person. There's no other thing that you can seek after that will accomplish this. There's no trying to be a nice person and be a good moral person. It doesn't work that way because you're looking for righteousness in the eyes of God by you being a good person. And you're not looking at the fact that Jesus has taken all of our failures, all of our faults, all of our rebellion, all of our rejection, all of the intents of our heart that he sees. He's taken all of that and he received the punishment so we didn't have to. So he who knew no sin could take that and become that perfect sacrifice for you and me. And we're gonna talk about this next week. So man, connect with us on Monday, Thursday as we gather here Thursday and we receive communion together, man. It's gonna be a special moment for us. Come and allow your heart to be tender by what we talk about and think about on Good Friday. And then come celebrate his victory over our final enemy, death. Because Jesus put death to death on Resurrection Sunday. And think about someone you want to bring with you. Someone you want to tap on the shoulder. Someone you want to say, hey, why don't you come to church with me? And maybe what God's doing in you, maybe it would be contagious and catch in their heart as well. But if today you need someone to pray with you, we're going to have our prayer team up at the end of service. There'll be people on either end here of this stage. And we want to pray for you. And so if you have put your faith, your trust in Jesus, man, or if you're like, I, I need someone to pray with me about anything in your life, whatever's going on. Every week we have these people up here who are ready for you to pray and who just want to be there for you. You don't have to tell them your life story. It's okay. But we want you to know we love you. We care about you. But what is your next step today? of obedience and trust. Lord, help us to trust and obey today. We put our rest, our hope, our faith in you and you alone. In Jesus' name.